Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Chris, we have so much to get to today. I know I say that every single week, but with it being two weeks before the season... I hope you mean it this time, Connor. I, I, I promise I, I do mean it. I, I, don't, I don't take that lightly. I really don't. When, when I say that we have a lot to get to, I, I've said in the summer when it's just a light show and we're just doing stuff like comparing office characters to... Being real journalists. Right. We, we do have a lot to get to today. We, we're, of course, going to talk about the LSU quarterback situation, the LSU-Clemson matchup. Got a few other things, some stuff that we want to talk about with our planned content that we have on SDS. But before we do all of that stuff, got to talk to you guys about our friends at Sweet Hop. Uh, as you guys know, the start of the season is just around the corner. This year, our favorite SEC teams will be taking the field at pro stadiums throughout the South. You've got Auburn at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. You've got Alabama at Camping World in Orlando. Uh, you got LSU, A&M, and Arkansas at Jerry World in Dallas. Uh, Ole Miss is going to be at NRG Stadium in Houston, probably scoring like 15 billion points against I Texas Tech. Um, yeah, and then uh, the Dogs and Gators, of course, uh, cocktail party in Jacksonville. Uh, you know all those games are going to be awesome. All those games are great opportunities for you to see your favorite team from a luxury suite from Sweet Hop. It's nearly impossible to book a suite on campus, but reserving a party suite for you and your crew on Sweet Hop can make the trip to these away games epic and memorable. When you book a suite, your group will pull into the best parking, skip the lines with the VIP entrance, and arrive at your private suite with your food and your cold beer ready to go. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have your own TVs for replays. You're going to have comfortable seating and plenty of room to move around, all that stuff. That's the sweet life, y'all. View availability and pricing at sweethop.com slash kickoff today. That's S-U-I-T-E hop.com slash kickoff. We have, like I said, loaded show. Um, we have to start with uh, a little rest in peace. And he's not dead, but he's dead from the SEC for now. Wait, what? What is happening? Our guy, Lowell Narcisse. Narcisse. He is no longer at LSU. Of course, the big news this week coming out of Baton Rouge, Lowell Narcisse and Justin McMillan are both transferred out. LSU's quarterback room went from four to two in a matter of a few short days, and we are broken up about it. They're on pace to have roughly, if I'm doing this correctly, negative 18 quarterbacks on the roster. You are doing that correctly. That okay. is the rate that they are going. We, we thought this was going to happen. I mean, to be perfectly clear, it's just one of those things that when it does happen, it just kind of makes you realize, oh, okay, this is life now. This is right. pretty much the situation you signed up for. I had a, a little personal celebration because I was admittedly worried about how I would pronounce Noel Narcisse the entire season. Well, he's French. We established that, right? Yeah. And that, me I think and that was yeah. part of the problem because, like, every day at practice, they said he was showing up instead of his helmet. He had a beret on. He's always carrying like a French baguette, smoking right. cigarettes, dressing like a mime. It's not going to fit in Baton Rouge. No, it, it's not, and that's obviously why he wanted to to leave. And he and Justin McMillan both making this decision right after each other, and having this right before the start of the season. If you're an LSU fan, it makes you a little bit nervous, not not for the fact that you thought one of them was going to start. We think Joe Burrow is going to start, yeah. but this is still a depth thing, and this is still one of those things where you don't want to go into uh, opening opening week having two scholarship quarterbacks. Right. It's a scary proposition. Georgia knows all about that, and uh, this is something where you just kind of you're sitting on pins and needles, hoping that you don't have to go to a second string quarterback in a situation right. like this. I mean. 
the good news is they're kind of well-versed in not really having a quarterback. True. You know, this is like somebody that lives in, like, I don't know, uh, West Virginia out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the power's out. Like, yeah, well, the power's been out for a while. I'll be fine. I got some candles. I got a lantern and a good puzzle. So I think Orgeron's going to be okay, mainly because I think he's still learning what a quarterback is. So the bar's set low. That's a direct shot at your boy, Joe Burrow, who no, not you at all. Puts... He's, I've got a lot of stock in him this year. I, I know, but I'm just saying, if you're saying they have, they have no quarterbacks, technically he is a quarterback that is still on that roster. And that's I'm saying the, reason the past that... decade they haven't had a quarterback that most teams would be envious of. That's fair enough, although Danny Etling is sitting with the New England Patriots right now, at pretty much after having just graduated from quarterback U, as we found out from... LSU. Um, so the the a few little wrinkles that came out of this, of course, whenever you hear a player who transfers before the start of the season, you get people who call him out and say, oh, you know, he didn't want to compete, whatever. Uh, former uh, LSU offensive lineman Will Blackwell uh, called out Lowell Narcisse for, for not competing. And uh, that was an interesting route to go, uh, considering he that... He lost the competition. He lost. Big he difference. knew that he had lost. Um, you don't bring in a guy like Joe Burrow from Ohio State uh, and, and assume that you were all of a sudden going to be the guy when you couldn't... I mean, you, your goal was going to be able to, to try and leap past Miles Brennan on the right. depth chart. So I, I won't fault a kid for, for realizing that, hey... <laughs> I'm not going to start, and I'm I'm a few a few pegs back on the depth right. chart. Why would I stick around? I mean, like personally, I, when I played when I played college baseball, no big deal. I I was a first baseman, and I wasn't. I'm only six one, so I wasn't very big. And I remember going into my sophomore redshirt sophomore year, the two seniors above me graduated. And I was like, my time to shine, Chris. Here we go. And uh, our coach recruited three junior college kids that were all like 6'4", 250. And you know what the hard pill to swallow was? They were better than me. So, yeah, sure, I was like really good at running and like defensively at first base. You don't really need that. So, yeah, I get it. That's a, that's a nice way to say that when you see the writing on the wall, yeah. you should probably take some sort of action. And yeah, we're I moved to past- second base because my friends were. <laughs> I had no idea how to play that position. <clears throat> Yeah, well, the, the thing that we're going to look for with this LSU situation is not, this isn't a surprise. Like I said, we expected right. this to happen. The thing that is going to be fascinating to watch is now you're stuck <laughs> with two scholarship quarterbacks, and what in the world is to stop Miles Brennan from transferring if he loses this job? Also, I hope they're friends, because that's an awkward quarterback room. Oh, it's tiny. It's tiny. Um, I mean, the, and it was, it literally was like one, it happened, the first one happened on Tuesday, the next one happened on Wednesday. I mean, it was like a pair of sunglasses at the lake. Like, he was just losing left and right. And, yeah, what, what is to keep him from, from transferring out? Because, honestly, he was the one that I thought, before they got Burrow, that had the best chance of starting. Slim Reaper. I, yeah, I agree. He had the best nickname, the best chance of starting. I, I think now, though, you're, you're, you're maybe staying on the roster knowing that, if Joe Burrow flames out and really doesn't meet expectations in the first month of the season, this right. job is yours, and it's yours for as long as you want it. That's the uh, appeal to stay. But if Joe Burrow goes off in those first in, the, in oh, those man. first few games, and LSU fans are finally like, "We've got our quarterback," you got to remember Joe Burrow's a graduate transfer, but he's got two years of eligibility left. Right. And Miles Brennan is sitting there like, "What am I doing sticking around here? I can find somewhere else to play. I was a four-star recruit. I had plenty yeah. of teams that wanted me to play, and I could go elsewhere." That's going to be the, the tricky dynamic. And yeah. Because of the other three backups, he was the high, high, most highly rated quarterback coming out of high school. 
Right, and there, there was talent. I mean, Narcisse had plenty of talent, and so did McMillan. We saw what McMillan could do in the spring game, and that's going to maybe set them up to have legitimate opportunities at other places. But you still come back to the belief that if you're a, t- if you're a team like LSU that has been so quarterback-starved and you thought at that Alabama game that you were matched up pretty well, but you fell short at the quarterback position, Which one? this is what you have to do to get a good quarterback, and right. this is the type of risk that you have to take. So putting a lot of eggs in Joe Burrow's basket, but, I mean, nothing's really changed in the last two months. We've known that this was probably going to be the outcome of this. And also, if if the coaches weren't confident in how Joe Burrow is going to handle that offense and run that offense and perform in that offense, it would probably be a bigger deal, and, and I would assume they would have at least kept one of them on. Right, right. And now, I mean, that you've had the practice reports coming out, and uh, everything suggests that Joe Burrow is going to be the guy. Right. I've... You know, nothing Nothing has really changed. And it was interesting to hear um, Narcisse say on, uh, he went on WWLA in New Orleans and said, you know, he complimented Joe Burrow on his way out. He said, you could tell that, that Burrow was well coached at Ohio State. Right. And this is a guy who's really smart and he impressed them. And I, I think pretty much anything negative that you would say about a guy like Joe Burrow, uh, if you're Narcisse, would come off as petty, but to yeah. give a guy a compliment like that, that's at least a little bit of a good sign for, yeah, good for, for LSU fans. Yeah, be an adult. I mean, especially yeah. after, like, you know, getting the negative feedback from not competing. Like, no, it sounds like he has a, he's pretty well measured and just realized that his opportunity there was gone, and there's probably still an opportunity somewhere else. Talk about pressure on Steve Ensminger, though. I mean, you come into this situation where people have such high expectations, you have such an inexperienced backfield, you get a new quarterback who comes in over the summer, and you, you got to win. I mean, that's that's right. the expectation in Baton Rouge year in, year out. You don't have a 2018 quarterback. There's not even a true freshman quarterback in that class, so you got to wait Again. until 2019. And it's, and that's part of the problem. That, that's, that's how they got in the situation in the first place. And we talked about this before they got Joe Burrow. Two out of the past four years... And, and granted, one of those is not Orgeron's fault, but they didn't have a single quarterback in their recruiting class. It's, it's arguably the, the, the worst position and unit you have. Actually, it's not arguably. It is. It's hands down the worst. And you don't recruit a quarterback at all? Well, I mean, they recruited quarterbacks. They just couldn't yes. get a quarterback to come there. That's, that's the big difference. And I think it's tough because... Maybe this is just showing up in the recruiting world, and a lot of kids. Not that LSU hasn't had talented recruits that they've they've brought in, right. but maybe this is just starting to show in the recruiting <clears throat> world where no nobody really wants to be that next LSU quarterback who ultimately you know transfers and right. finds somewhere else because they decide they want to go with a grad transfer or whatever it works out. But yeah, this this situation uh, is not an easy one to walk if right. you're a head coach. And Two it's scholarship not all just quarterbacks. Like, Recruits that have been a bust, or like the coaching, it's just a, a combination of everything, man. Because you know, Mettenberger was a five star; he transferred in. Russell Shepard ended up playing receiver, but he was a he was a five star dual threat quarterback. I think he was one of the might have been the top quarterback in the country his uh, his recruiting year. So it's kind of mind blowing that they're in this situation, but I I still think Joe Burrow is going to be good. They're going to be you fine. Put him, you put him in the Heisman discussion last week. Let the record show. I did that. What? 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 Yeah, you did. We got a little help wanted sign that uh, you were so creative to come up with. And I think you got to share this with our audience because it's one thing to see it on social, but to hear it spoken in the in the voice of our favorite Coach O, uh, I don't know if it could be topped. Well, we had a, we had some bad news yesterday. Uh, Noel, not Z, he going to be gone. He going to be back. He going to be leaving Baton Rouge. Uh that being said, we got opportunity down here, uh, Tiger Stadium, Death Valley. 
right. So uh, I'm going to read this. Anybody wants to apply afterwards, you talk to me. Um, <laughs> hey, help on it. Ever wanted to play football in the SEC? LSU football is looking for eager, energetic, able-bodied volunteers to play quarterback this fall. Applicants must meet the following qualifications. <clears throat> One to two-year experience, quarterback in a Big Ten program. A foreign language background to communicate with the supervisor. Uh, at least one arm, preferred. Uh, basic understanding of the eye formation and how important the fullback's role is in it. Experience in how to handle disappointment. And uh, no criminal background or history of running a jet sweep. Interested in your resume to Edward W. Orgeron at CajunPeopleMeet.com. Thank you. Uh, that's a round of applause. That is a wow. If I'm, way a four-star recruit, working on that. <laughs> if I'm a four-star recruit, I see that, I come running, sign me up, coach. I'm, I'm ready to go. He's going to yeah. have a quarterback with that. Give my playbook, give my Rosetta Stone for English. I can understand what you're saying. Let's do this. <laughs> Speaking of LSU, uh, we're, this is an LSU heavy top of the pod, but we got to talk about this because this is one of the things that gets me really excited. Nothing gets me going like a future home-and-home matchup. Oh, my God. Big-time matchup ahead, LSU and Clemson. They're going to play in 2025 and 2026. Like that? The Death Valley battle, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for it. I'm already over how how much that, that pun and that cliche oh. stadium thing is going to be overhyped. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, though. And I'm glad they're, they're, we're getting into more home-and-homes instead of like the neutral site games. And that I haven't been to Death Valley in, at LSU because I fear for my life there. Mm-hmm. But I have been to... Death Valley and Clemson several times, and it's an incredible atmosphere. Yeah, I think getting to see these home-and-homes, the more and more we do them, especially now that the playoff era has had some time to unfold, as I said with the Alabama thing a couple months ago, I think this is the direction that the teams are going to go, and I think we're going to slowly start to deviate from these neutral site games. I know LSU has this Miami showdown in Jerry World this year, but I think this becomes more the trend with the big-time programs. And LSU is already loading up on the home and homes. They got Texas, they got Oklahoma coming up all in the next 10 years. Those are going to be, these are fun matchups to yeah. look forward to. And these are season opening matchups too. So, I mean, think about how, you know, the, the reason that I think that Michigan Notre Dame game got college game days because it's a home and home. And people, well, yeah. I had people tweeting at me like, oh, Auburn Washington's going to be a better game. It's two top 10 teams. Well, it's not, it's not a, a you know, at, at an actual college campus. So that's that's the tougher right. thing to, to sell, just in terms of like a hype standpoint. I think it's fantastic. And I'm, I mean, like the rest of the college football world, who doesn't want to see this matchup? Exactly. I mean, we, we're going to talk about this later, but we're talking about like my favorite games of all time. And just looking at some of the recent ones, that Georgia-Clemson rivalry where they played in, I think, 2013, 2014, that game in Death Valley was incredible. Eight o'clock start, like primetime ABC. It was, that's, that gets me so excited. And it's, it, it's the best way to start the season so you don't have to watch all these. Like, I think Georgia and Austin, peh, are on 3.30. I don't want to watch that. I want to watch this. Yeah. I, I agree 100%. And I, I think it makes it easier for the selection committee as well to be able to judge teams based on what they do in these headliner right. home games. I mean, look at last year, uh, Georgia-Notre Dame. I mean, that was such a big game in terms yeah. of the playoff, the playoff, you know, the whole picture and the way that we, we judge those two teams. It's nice to be able to have those. So, yeah, we're excited for eight years from now, seven years from now, whatever it is. Um, I mean, tip of the cap for Clemson to actually schedule that as well because I'm trying to think the last home-and-home I remember LSU playing is a couple years ago when they went to Syracuse, and they literally drank the town dry. They ran out of bush lights. How does that happen? 
uh, because there's probably not a whole lot of bush light to begin with up there. I'll tell you what happened. I've been to Syracuse, New York, Dinosaur Barbecue, fantastic, fantastic place. Some of the, it's the best barbecue I've had in the Northeast. Not saying it. I'm not going to go all provide that Brooklyn take. I'm not going there. Yep. Don't worry, guys. Don't need not to. Not going yeah. there. Um, fantastic. If you're ever up in Syracuse, Dinosaur Barbecue. Um, but yeah, so the bigger picture question that I want to get to: Who is going to be coaching those two teams for this game? <laughs> we always have to ask these, that that question when it comes to these future matchups. Is Dabo still going to be at Clemson when 2025 rolls around? I. I don't know if he's still going to be at Clemson. I would say if it's between the two, I definitely would put way more stock in Dabo being at Clemson versus Orgeron being at LSU. I would think that Dabo will still be there at that point, unless, I mean, the only option, I'm not saying the only option he has, but the only scenario that's going to play out is if he goes to Bama or if he stays at Clemson. If he gets that itch. If he gets that itch. That's going to be, I know that college football fans are probably already sick of that question. The Dabo to Bama, what will it happen? Won't right. it happen? Um, you know, to me right now, it's it's still way too early to judge if that's actually going to happen. I think the odds are are fairly decent that he's there for at least one of those matchups. That's my way of hedging yeah, would, and saying maybe seven and a half years. Um, but here's, okay, so maybe this is the, the better question. Van Orgeron gets a quarterback to LSU, and if Joe Burrow ends up being a superstar, let's just hypothetically throw this no, out there. Let's, let's just let's start from. Don't start there. Let's not start in the hypotheticals. Let's start with the most basic problem in this question. Do you think Orgeron can keep his job for eight years, eight or, more eight, years. or any job? I, I think. I think 2018 would determine my perception of that. I think if he overcomes a schedule this difficult with this many questions on offense, I think that really actually bodes well for his yeah, long-term just, future. Just keeps it going for six, six, seven years afterwards. Not saying that he's going to, you know, compete for national championships in the next, you know, like two or three years or anything like that. But if he somehow turns this season where Vegas has like the lowest over/under yeah. for an LSU season in forever, and this offense ends up being somewhat decent, and maybe Which they I win one of those be. big. Maybe they win one of those games against Georgia or against Alabama or something like that. If something like that happens, he's going to have a grace period that's been different than we've seen from LSU coaches in recent memory. So I, I'm not going to rule it out, but I'm not, you know, at the same time, like it's it's eight more years in the SEC. Who stays in the SEC for eight <laughs> no years? No one not stays that long. Saban. Yeah. I mean, and so, and, and I agree and disagree with the whole thing about the expectations and him getting a little bit like longer leash if he wins a big game. Because I get the Vegas part of it, They've, the six and a half wins, you know, that's not a lot. It's the only program, like we've talked about, since 2001 that's won eight games every single year. The problem with the, the Vegas total and them surpassing that and exceeding those expectations is the expectations from their fan base and in the state and then what everyone else around the country assumes the LSU program is about are a lot higher. So, and, and I think Orgeron should stay, he should get at least one more year regardless. But it's it's a really tough situation because everything is a what have you done for me lately now in the SEC and, and it's not a it's like running backs in the NFL it's not a lot of uh, length of that career. That'd be a fun poll question to throw out there. Or, do you believe Ed Orgeron will be the coach at LSU when that Clemson show, showdown? Yeah, we could do that right now. Just throw it out there. 
yeah, I'm not I'm not tech savvy enough to be able to like I, I'm already operating like three different devices <laughs> right now, so that, that adding a fourth one in there is just not going to be able to happen for me. But yeah, I I, I think that's a, an interesting question moving forward is is what kind of leash is he going to have? And you know these big headliner matchups that we get excited for they could be vastly different. You know eight years from now, obviously. Right. But um, LSU fans, all right, you got your fill. You're welcome for that. Uh, Florida fans will enjoy this. Oh my God! So I don't want to hear people say that that we're we're hating on Florida, we're doubting Florida because we're we're reporting what's out there, and what's out there is B.J. Johnson, CBS Sports analyst, picked Florida to make the playoff. Not only to make the playoff, but to be the number two seed in the playoff. That's this year, 2018. The team that won four games last year I, is going to make what? the playoff in year one of the Dan Mullen era. Well, what's crazy about that pick is that that's the first thing that I gravitated towards when I saw it on like on the screen or like on on social media. The other three picks were all pretty reasonable and logical picks. Washington, Clemson, Michigan State. Yep. Yeah, I have two of those in mine. Mm-hmm, same. I, I'm I'm my jaws still dropped from this one. Florida, Florida. They were three, four, and seven last year. Florida won how many games against Power Five teams last year? One. Uh, Kentucky, oh, yeah. Tennessee, so two? Yeah. Yeah, two games against Power 5 teams. So but they dominated those games. Right. I mean, this is a Phil Steele-like prediction, although I'd argue that this is even more ridiculous because last year Phil Steele, when he predicted that Florida was going to be a... a yeah, he was no. a, that was a sleeper team to go to the national championship. It was before the credit card fraud stuff and all that came this out. This is not a Phil Steele prediction. This is like a homeless person saying the end is near on the sidewalk type of prediction. This is crazy. But here's the thing. So last year uh, when Cole Kubelik predicted that NC State was going to make the playoff, yeah. every time NC State would win a big game, he'd be like, see, see? see? Right. And I, and I think now... Every time Florida wins a big game, B.J. Johnson's like, hey, you know, remember, remember who told you about those Gators? And then yeah, if, he, if it doesn't come true, then it's like, all right, well, nobody thought it was going to come true in the first place. Yeah. So he probably looks at a prediction like this as, yeah, I'm going to get hammered for this in the first couple days, but Everyone's talking I about could it. look really smart, and everybody's talking about it. Maybe he was just filling out like a March Madness bracket, and he didn't know what he was doing. I, I mean... Maybe. I, I don't know. I, it's... Uh, Still, still confused. And the whole the thing about NC State last year, uh, to your point, yes, like when they beat when they beat Florida State at home, or they beat Florida State on the road, and they had a couple other big wins. They played Clemson really close, but he had them their 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 final four. And hats off to him for because no one else had that prediction, and they were a really good football team. But they lost the first game of the season, so that was over right. pretty much the first game of the season. But I, I mean, it's not over to make the playoff in the first game did, of the season. Did they make the playoff? No, no, but it wasn't over then necessarily. Just because you lose to South Carolina doesn't mean your season's over. I mean, Clemson lost to Syracuse last year. Season wasn't over. Right. Do you think an 11-1 NC State team was going to get in over Clemson or Bama? If Cle- well, if, I mean, if, if NC State had won the ACC championship, then yeah, they would have gotten in over Clemson. That's the way that works. Okay, you think they would have gotten in over Bama? If they had won, well, no, because they would have taken Clemson. They would have taken Clemson's spot, so it wouldn't. Have, it would have been irrelevant. I don't know what kind of fantasy world we're even in right now, but I feel like <laughs> I'm right in this argument. We're going down a deep rabbit hole here. It's just weird though that Florida, Florida, like um, maybe like Texas, and there are a couple other programs like this. When when they've been down, and there's any sense that they can get back up, they have the right coach. I think there there are some people who just want to overshoot so quickly yeah. and just. 
like all of a sudden, yeah, they're going to be back competing for national championships. Just it's like Michigan, that. Texas, and and yes. I think those are perfect examples. And and honestly, Notre Dame as well. Yeah, Notre Dame has been able to sort of ride this wave of nine, eight, eight, nine wins and and be okay and sort of keep some of that hype up. But yeah, I agree. Notre Dame is probably in that conversation as well. It's like even after a season when they can look totally awful and like a night right. and look like a complete nightmare if there's off-season optimism about that it's like oh well hey notre dame could just compete for national championships just like that because Notre Dame. right yeah so florida is going to be uh, apparently competing for for a playoff spot in, in a hurry um shout out to my crystal ball series uh shameless plug i had florida winning seven games this year so needless to say bj johnson i do not agree with your prediction same <laughs> Let's move on to a comment that came from the father of Justin Fields. So Pablo Fields. What a strong to, name, by the way. Yeah, really strong name. Did not know his name was Pablo. That kind of yeah. changed my Justin Fields impression a little bit. I heard that. Well, it shouldn't like, have, but yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, because we go to Pablo Escobar, right? And that's that's my first thought when I hear Pablo. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much. Okay, so maybe not the... Or that Kanye the, album. Yeah. Or uh, Pablo from Backyard Baseball. Okay. Very done different ends of the spectrum. Yes, we have. Uh, Pablo Fields uh, talked to ESPN's David Hale. Uh, Hale was doing a story about how Tua's situation last year impacted this new wave of five-star quarterbacks coming in like Justin Fields, like Trevor Lawrence, who are presumably maybe the backups. And, well, Justin Fields is definitely the backup. Trevor Lawrence, not so sure about that yet. Um, and, and just how this is going to impact the landscape of college football and what these hyped quarterbacks are doing. So Pablo Fields had this interesting comment, um, and it was related to the Alabama quarterback situation that we saw unfold in the national championship. And here was the direct quote from ESPN. Um, this is Pablo Fields saying this. It wasn't an Einstein move that is Alabama putting into a, in the second half. Right. They weren't going to win that game without the switch. They just weren't. But I hope that opens eyes because teams will do it in every other spot, tackle, guard, center. They'll figure a way. But playing the best quarterback, sometimes there's a big blowback, especially if it's an unseen commodity. So then he was also asked if he thought, you know, Georgia would, you know, what he would think about the possibility of Georgia benching Jake Fromm, uh, given what Jake Fromm has already accomplished as someone who led the dogs to a national championship berth. Uh, and Pablo Field said, that's a roll of the dice. So, the I, second part might be more interesting than the first part. Yeah, I mean, that, it sounded like he was, it was going to be a typical thing, like, yep, I know what happened with Tua. That wasn't like a genius, he kind of, not through shade at Saban, but it was like, you know, wasn't a genius move, it's what you had to do. And I just assumed from, like, you know, being around, I guess, sports parents, which can be the worst sometimes, that's the road he was going to go down? Nope. Right. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it wasn't one of those comments where you're thinking to yourself, this is an overprotective dad. This is a guy right. who clearly doesn't have any perspective and thinks his kid is, you know, his you-know-what don't stink. Um, right. Justin like Rodrigo, Fields. Rodrigo Blankenship's dad. <laughs> what has what he said? He called in to the radio show, like in Atlanta, two years ago, and said several things to, to, to Kirby about it as well when, when uh, Blankenship wasn't on scholarship. And oh, bitched about it the entire offseason. Oh, he was like, right. given all the stats, everything he's done, and then started talking about how expensive it is for him to pay for his college. That's that's like that was the least exciting. You're on scholarship after the Notre Dame game last year. I was like, jeez, oh, <laughs> you guilted me into it. But he's a really good player. So, 
And look at Rodrigo now, always doing his dropping bombs in the Rose Bowl and coming out yeah. with rap videos and showing up on preseason All-America Look at you, so. this monster you've created, Dad. <laughs> yeah, Pablo Fields' comments, though, were, were interesting to hear him say that it'd be a roll of the dice to put in Justin Fields to right. take out someone who has accomplished as Jake Fromm and put in someone who uh, doesn't have that college experience yet. I, I like Justin Fields from what we've seen of him as a recruit, from what we saw of him in the spring game, but it's just a totally different scenario until you see him against live defenses right. in the SEC. So, yeah, it's 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 weird to hear a, a dad say that and not say, yeah, no, I think it'd be a great move. I mean, I, I have plenty of confidence that my son will, will tear it up and he'll, right. you know, there'll be no drop-off whatsoever. But Yeah, look at him uh, being logical and reasonable. We're, yeah. We don't get enough of that right? at all. That's, that's strange. Justin Fields has this thing, uh, shout out Trent Dilfer, who said on this podcast that he thinks Justin Fields has this thing he likes to call supreme physical confidence. And <laughs> it's one of those things, no, 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 seriously, like, I get what he's, I get exactly what he's saying. I didn't come speed. up with a name for it. Right. Um, it's this, Cam Newton has it, where he's standing in the pocket and he could have a completely uncovered defensive end just rushing at his face. And he's just standing in the pocket stoic, looking like he has not a care in the world and like he's going to be able to escape it, no doubt whatsoever. Justin yeah. Fields has that. And at least we saw that in the spring game. If you watch his high school film, he had that too. But that element, I can't wait to see what that looks like in the against the first like really good defense that he faces. Right. Well, if Cam's he does also, have to play. I mean, to be fair, Cam was like 6'5", 250, running like a 4'6". And he'd already, like the whole drop back, staring down pressure like right as it comes to you in the pocket he had already done that with the ncaa investigation so he was fine good point, good um, point. he was like very well versed in that but yeah i mean with the field stuff it'll be interesting to see because it's we talked about this earlier and i know trevor lawrence and him were like kind of one two like they were both ranked first or second in the entire country as a quarterback right. which is really unheard of but there's a little bit of a difference like there's still five stars are good quarterbacks obviously but there is a little bit of a difference between a five-star, and then the five-star, like the best quarterback in the country. So I don't think it's in doubt that he's going to be successful at UGA. It'll be interesting to see how much time he gets. I don't think he'll push from because they both, way more than Jalen and, and Tua, they both complement each other and have their own strengths. But their strength is being like a good passing quarterback right. with some, some mobility, not the same yeah. in Alabama. Jake Fromm doesn't have the same limitations as Jalen Hurts. No. and. That's, that's maybe the big difference between the situation. As much as they've kind of followed these, these parallel paths, I'd say that for those thinking that there's a possibility that Jake Fromm could get benched or something like no. that because Kirby realizes he can't win with him, I, I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, the guy has almost beat pretty much everybody in the country and done right. so with his arm. And, you know, as someone who led the program to its first national championship in 37 years, that's right. different than Alabama, which has been to five national championships in the last nine years and have done so with a variety of quarterbacks. Your words, not, not mine. Not, not a lot of which who have been these superstar players. So that's that's maybe the difference that I'd say with Georgia compared to Alabama is, is that I think means a little bit more to Georgia. I think doing right. what Jake Fromm did last year has more staying power. That's why I don't think that this is a, a quarterback battle technically right. because – Nothing's going to change. Even though Kirby hasn't named a starter in this. Yeah, they're, they're both going to play. Justin Fields is going to come into games, I think, kind of similar to what Alabama did with Tua last year. They're going to put him in situations where they know he can't blow a lead, and they're going to see what he can do and have him throw the ball in certain scenarios. Right. So that's, that's maybe the difference is that I don't think that this is even a battle at this point because 
Jake Fromm is way too good to have lost this job. I, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this in a minute, but I mean, well, let's just talk about it now. Who would you rather have? <laughs> we're gonna talk about it now. All right, right now. all right, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, who would you rather have as a quarterback to win you a game Tua. tomorrow? Sorry. Who would you rather have to win a game tomorrow? Anybody other than Jake Fromm in the SEC? In the SEC to win a game tomorrow. Quarterback to win a game tomorrow. I'm not talking development. A I know year everyone's going to expect me to now. say Tua. I, I mean, it's hard not to, but that sample size is pretty small. I would say with, with the talent around them or just in general. You're building a team around this guy. Tua. Interesting. So I came Sorry. out with um, shameless plug. And by the way, I'm not being a homer here right now. Trent Dilfer's <laughs> no, on this podcast. He did. I've, I've stuck up for Jalen for a very long time. Um, yeah. So I came out with uh, my first SEC quarterback rankings of the year. Uh, I do those every single week. Last year, of course, I had Jalen Hurts at number one throughout most of the season, and that obviously is a little bit different this year. But in my first quarterback rankings, that's that's what I want to focus on, and that's what I want the rankings to reflect every single week. And part of that is statistically based. Some of it is just being able to watch guys and say, who's going to win you a ball game? Who's the best guy to go do that? Right. And so my top five, I don't know if it's that predictable. Um, I think you could probably I haven't looked yet. The f- okay, so this is good. So can you predict my my top five, starting with, with number five? So number five, I would say, would be... Joe Burrow. No. Jake Bentley. Jake Bentley did not make my this top five. This game sucks. No. I don't want to play this no. game at all. Uh, Jake Bentley Hurts. did not make... Mm, Let me start at the top. No. This is. I don't want to go five to one. It's not New Year's Eve. You're going to start at 14 and work your way down? No, I'm going to start at number one. Oh, okay. Start at number one then. Who'd you have at number one? From? I had From at number one. Two, Stidham. Yes. Three, Tua. No. You're out of your mind. Um, I, I had Locke at number three, and I had Tua oh, at Oh, yeah, four. I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I like that a lot. I agree with that. And then I had, I had Nick Fitzgerald at number five. I would have Fitzgerald. Well, yeah, that's a that's a solid list. Okay. Yeah, I, I Fitzgerald didn't get the top three spot just because he still has the, the limitations throwing right. the deep ball, and I, I look for if I'm going to be able to, to win a game in any circumstance, I want those four guys ahead of him just because yeah. they can do a variety of things. They've got mobility. They can throw the ball downfield. They can do all those things. So that, well, that, would, that was, was locked, too, is the fact that he, out of that group especially, he has the least amount of resources and talent around him. So a lot of them being, he has to make a lot of people better. He's right. like LeBron if he was playing like on an upward basketball team at like some Methodist church in like Akron. So the 2017-18 Cleveland Cavaliers? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love the, the conversation about uh, what would Drew Locke do if he was playing for Georgia or Alabama or Auburn right. or something like that. That would be really, really fun to see. And maybe we'll get to see a, a situation like that if he's a back end of the first-round pick in the NFL. and Maybe he right. goes to a really talented team and you kind of see the playing field evened a little bit. But uh, I think the, the quarterback discussion right now, you have to favor a guy like Fromm who, yeah. man, I mean, goodness, beat pretty much everybody that you asked him to beat, won big games on the road. But and it wasn't was just so game efficient. managing. Put up good numbers. 
put up good numbers, was the ninth most efficient passer in the country as a freshman. That's that's unheard of. Usually the thing that you knock freshmen for is is the inefficiency, is the turnovers. And that, that, that wasn't what he did. And I think that people who were looking at Jake Fromm and the amount of attempts and stuff like that thought that he was limited, thought that, that Jim Chaney didn't want to do things with him. But I, I think they were proven wrong, ultimately. Well, and you and can go to games like Oklahoma and see what he did. Right. And then, and don't, he got so much better throughout the year, too. And, and He did. And I was one of the one of the people that was just the worst through most of the year, just kind of giving him not giving the benefit of the doubt and saying that he's just managing the game. He's like against Mississippi State, he threw like 12 passes. He was 8 of 12 for like 201 yards. Oh, but that so flea flicker they were, in the first play. Yeah, oh, I know. Man. For like 67 That's yards. Sweet. But they, you know, they weren't asking him to go out and win a game, especially early on. But I overlooked how just how efficient he was being. And what people forget about is the guy he replaced, I understand he was injured, Jacob Eason. The amount of hype coming around Jacob Eason when like especially out of high school this is a guy that was a five-star quarterback one of the number one i think he was the number one quarterback in the country his year and being in atlanta all i heard the entire offseason was like how are we going to keep eason we got rid of ricked how are we going to keep eason and because the kid's from washington and he came in he had a up and down first season he had so much upside and potential people were so excited about him he's an afterthought now because of how good Fromm was Within three weeks, we were writing about why Kirby Smart would have been crazy to fork over the starting quarterback right. job to anybody other than Jake Fromm. Right. He has earned that type of trust. He is Kirby Smart's guy. I mean, that's, you know, people might forget that Jake Fromm was committed to Alabama and then he went over to, to Georgia because of Kirby. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. Uh, but then he went over to, to Georgia because of Kirby Smart. He made that kind of impact. And I think that a guy that you kind of stick your neck out for and who... <laughs> does great things for you, obviously, as, as a head coach. I think he's going to reward right. Jake Fromm continuously just because of what he's been able to do. So one of the big surprises of our top 25 SEC players list, which came out uh, the other day. You can go check that out right now uh, on SES.com. Brought to you by Texas Pete. By the way, we are brought to you by Texas Pete. I don't know if you guys saw the new logo yet, but um, SDS Podcast brought to you by Texas yeah. Pete. I don't know if you've heard me heavy mouth breathing over here, but I had a whole bunch of it on a turkey sandwich earlier. It's incredible. <laughs> it's my favorite. Always has been. You know what I like to do with Texas Pete? Put it in some toma- uh, potato salad from, uh, from Publix. It's fantastic. You're welcome, guys. That's interesting. The top 25 SEC players list that was produced uh, by our uh, Rick Stavig, who, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing his name right. I'm not good with pronunciation. Let's just call him Rick. We'll call him He's Slick He's a co-worker. I, but we don't, we, I know, but we're, we're millennials. We only deal with co-workers through conference calls and stuff like that because we're all I've never seen him or, or talked to him ever. Uh, we're going to call him, yeah, nor have I. But we're going to call him Slick Rick for these purposes. <laughs> and he came up with this list that surprised us. I'll be honest. Jake Fromm was not on the top 25 SEC players list, which I wholeheartedly disagree with. And at number one was Raekwon Davis, which Alabama defensive lineman. You can say what you want about the talent around him in the past couple of years. But that, that seemed like, uh, you know, Rick, it was, it was an interesting call. Rick is a former NFL scout. And right. he's also, if you listen to the pod on Monday, he was the one that, um, he didn't start the argument because my insecurities and irrational <laughs> abilities uh, did. <laughs> but he was the one that said he didn't think Bama had the most talented team in the SEC anymore. Um, he probably knows the game of football. I'm not going to say probably. He definitely knows the game of football on a professional level a lot better than me. So yep. I, I feel like I should probably trust his instincts. But when I saw this, uh, to kind of go off on the, on the office reference, Michael Scott, nope, don't like that. Don't like that. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I felt because I was like, man, there's there's some good picks on here, but there's a lot of a lot of people missing. 
Yeah, there are uh, some obvious snubs here. We mentioned from uh, no Deshaun Davis from Auburn. Was yeah. surprised. No CC Jefferson from Florida. That's a big one. Uh, no Nick Fitzgerald. Uh, interesting, considering he's going to set a lot of records this year. No uh, Nick Fitzgerald. Career records. No Tua. No, and, and Tua doesn't really deserve to be on here because the sample size. But like, no Nick Fitzgerald. He's not one of the top twenty-five players in the SEC. He's the only yeah. reason Starkville is even like has anything going on for itself. Uh, Dan Mullen might have something to say about that. Ooh, wow, I'm gonna tell Joe Moorhead you said that. No, 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 no! Don't go telling on me. Come on, we don't, um, we don't need that. No, but Nick Fitzgerald seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, to I throw agree. in here. Um, it gave a lot of love to guys like Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat, guys who we think will be uh, All-American candidates as well. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a tough list to come up with because anytime that you're comparing players from that play different positions, it, right. it's difficult, and you try and judge their impact but you try and also just judge how good are they at what they do and how much do they mean to their specific team. So uh, I get the, the challenge, and I think a lot of people, we saw a lot of the comments, people would have gone all over the place. There are a lot of people who probably would have had like five of six spots yeah, a lot of hurt, the top eight quarterbacks. things that were said on the internet. Hurt people, <laughs> hurt, hurt people. Hurtful comments on SDS? I've never seen any of those. Um, yeah, I was you surprised. Really haven't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I actually, I, I really do try and avoid the comments. I love when people... I'm a, okay, so when people tweet at me after like after I did uh, this Ohio State column, and I had people call me an SD, uh, I had people call me an SEC homer, which was really funny. Yeah. Um, because as we know, I've been called that very rarely in right. my life as a as a Yankee. No Yankee. Um, but yeah, so I had all these Ohio State Ohio State people chirp at me saying how how dare I say that Urban should be fired, blah blah blah. I usually never read the comments, and then I get myself ready to respond to some of these people. Um, and instead, I, I usually delete my comments, and I either respond with an LOL, or I just like their tweet that's trolling me. <laughs> that might be a better way to go about it. Uh, that's that's my, like, pacifist way of just no, that's saying, good. Like, dude, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not gonna get mad online. You wanna online. fight fire I mean, with passive aggression. That's what my stepdad always told me. That's I, the way to do it. I mean, that is the good way to do it. What I do, um, what I like to do is, it's actually a pretty well-calculated move, is I read it, freak out, out loud, and say something like, usually involving a cuss word, and then I lose sleep over it for, like, the next day or so. So there's no reason. The first thing they said when they hired me was, last year, don't read the comments. And I was like, don't why? Worry. Because, like, from doing stand-up comedy for, like, the past seven years in Atlanta, and, like, and I wasn't, like, I mean, I was better at stand-up comedy than I was college baseball. I'll say that. But, like, you get, you get an immediate feedback from the audience, like, oh, this is funny. This isn't funny. You don't really get that on the internet. You just have to have, what's it called? Self-confidence, which is not my strong suit. And uh, you know what, guys? Moral of the story, don't seek validation from the internet ever, ever, unless you're a hot woman. Just don't, don't do it. A lot of people were questioning Rick's rankings. Slick Rick, my bad. Um, one of the things that I was, was surprised to see was that Debo Samuel's only at number 13. Yeah. I think at this, like, this point last year, we were kind of debating if he was going to be the best overall player in the SEC. I think well, he was. Is, he does have that very kind small of sample size, guy. though. Right. And, you know, played basically what, what was it, two and a half two games and last half, two year? Two and a half games. That's all and, on projections. Like, he's not going to return two kickoffs or a touchdown every single game. I, I was honestly most surprised with number one. Looking through the list, it's not that far-fetched because they're, they're, I don't want to say they're all interchangeable, but everyone in the top ten, you can't really argue with them not being a, like a, right. a top ten Agreed. player in the SEC. I was surprised Jeffrey Simmons, who's one of the uh, top NFL draft prospects in the conference, was right outside of the top ten at 11. I, but, yeah, but not that crazy. I mean, yeah. it's 
you know, it's 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 like I said, it's difficult to compare positions, um, like to compare right. guys who don't play the same position. You try and judge their impact and do all that stuff. You think Jeffrey Simmons is is ten spots lower or not as good as Raekwon Davis? No, that's what I will. That's, that, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's okay. That's a good point then. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, Benny Snell only at number seventeen was interesting. I, I think Benny Snell, given what he has to go through on a, on a weekly basis as a running back at Kentucky, when everybody knows that he's going to get the ball, <sighs> I think that sucks. Oh, I bet it's brutal. He just gets thirteen guys in the box. Right. They're like, "Hey, we need we need extra guys to come in here." This You're is pretty much what's going on. What are you doing? <laughs> is Matt Elam still here? Is he eating everything again? Lead you in the scrimmage. We do appreciate Rick putting together this list because yeah. we know it's not easy, and it's really cool. If you haven't seen the the, the layout of this, uh, we, we got some really cool things going in our our, uh, yeah. our preview for the season. I came up with a list of the top ten freshmen in the SEC, which I know you disagreed with as well. Um, we're not going to talk about that today, although I will say, spoiler alert, I had Patrick Sertan at number one. Yeah, I, had, I made so, lists too. They're different. They're not like as journalistic, I guess. Let's well, no. Let's talk about let's talk about one of your lists because favorite you have Dr. Your f- Dr. Pepper cans, um, best Airbud movies. What? What do you? No, no. There's not any debate about that. Yeah, seventh inning fetch, golden retriever. <laughs> there it is, golden receiver. Yeah. Oh, golden Jesus. receiver. Yeah, that's what. Um, no, so I'm. Bad. I made a. I guess we'll transition into it. We did a, a piece about, kind of based off what the SEC Network is doing right now with the Gridiron Classics or Football Classics Challenge, and it's like their, their favorite or top 16 games they're going to show over the next 10 days on SEC Network. And it's a good list, but, and I've, I've sat on this like all summer, just, I don't know, just procrastinating on, you know what we should do is like my favorite games instead of just, you know, like the generic, like kick six is number one and all that kind of stuff. So I made a list of my favorite games I think every SEC football fan should know. And the comments were not great, but it's fine. Um, but it's yours, so that's all that matters. It it's doesn't mine, matter. that's all that matters. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> my list it's not, you know. is mine, I know. Good. Wait, what, I sang what, Jewel. What? I sang Jewel on what? the podcast. Really wish I didn't do that. Within a 40-minute stretch, you did an entire Help Wanted ad in Ed Orgeron voice, and you sang Jewel. Uh, that's the type of versatility that we search for. That's Debo Samuel versatility. I don't know. Nothing. All purpose. Uh, Fourth team, Chris Marler. <laughs> no, so I just get tired of seeing like the same old generic uh, content every offseason, just in general, like what we're going to talk about. You know, what are the top games of all time? Looking at it from like a, a personal standpoint, just watching football and being obsessed with it, um, in the SEC especially, since I was like four or five years old, that's all I did on Saturdays growing up was just – Whatever game day came on, but from like 12 o'clock to like 12, a, 12, 12 noon to 12 midnight, sat on the couch, me and my dad, watched football all day. It was awesome. Awesome. So August, uh, I spent a lot of time sweating profusely because the heat and then also rewatching games on YouTube because I'm a loser. And so this is a list of my favorite games to rewatch that like never get old. Like the 2018 National Championship, if you're a Bama fan, not a very, very fun first half. If you're a Georgia fan, That's- not a very fun second half. Yeah, so that's that's the interesting uh, wrinkle that you have in this is that it's not necessarily games that had just the best finish, but the best games yeah. that you experienced. Entertainment value. I, yeah. So okay. far like, away. 1980, uh, Georgia versus South Carolina. It was only a 13 to 10 game, but it was Herschel versus George Rogers. George Rogers. So yep. two Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, going to that game, South Carolina was their they were ranked the highest in program history since 1959. They were 14th. So. That game, I've said this before on the podcast, watching old Herschel Walker highlights is like watching a home run derby. It's 
every three to four pitches, like literally toss sweep, pitch run right end, all of a sudden your jaw drops. And he hit like a 76-yard run and just outran everyone. On the that field. was the maybe the most legendary Herschel run. When I did the, no. the Herschel piece for for Goat Week, it's it's up there. I mean, it, it's, Bill Bates. Yeah, the Bill Bates is the that was like his burst onto the scene. His first moment. game of the year, and that was what got him. Well, yeah, it was his first game that he played in. It was I think it was Georgia's third game of the year. First um, game. Tennessee was it? I don't know. I'll I wrote the article, Connor. I, well, I wrote I wrote an article as well. I wrote, I wrote about Herschel. I would trust you. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's. That's a good one. I think a lot of SEC fans who have, you know, remember just listening to games on radio yeah. or watching games on national TV. That game was significant to the, you know, the the Georgia South Carolina game because I think that was Herschel's first national TV game. And it was late yeah, in the season. It was. it was when George Rogers was, you know, was building that Heisman campaign. Yeah, in November, we had to wait that long to watch somebody like Herschel on national TV. Yeah. That would never ever happen. And it's it's crazy because like, and, and what went into all of my thinking was a lot of nostalgia for the most part but like the whole the whole I don't want to say production but basically production so Keith Jackson calling Herschel Walker highlights is incredible oh that's I mean incredible so other stuff on the list is you know kind of some like basics that you have to have as an SEC fan the earthquake game LSU Auburn 88 it's a terrible game to rewatch but that final fourth quarter like the final minutes in that fourth quarter when they hit a touchdown pass I think it's like a minute and 41 seconds to go and Auburn was really good that year and they registered uh, on the Richter scale or a seismograph um, in like the geology lab, I guess, like a thousand feet away. That's crazy. I think a uh, ri- shout out to Ryan McGee, uh, ESPN, does a tremendous job covering college football. I think he did a story on that last year before uh, before the Tiger Bowl, and I remember seeing you know the footage of that, just kind of like, oh my god. And there's only seventy nine thousand people. There's like a hundred and one now. Nuts. So yeah. I had that on there. Honestly, my favorites, and it was hard to pick from these, was was Tennessee, Florida. Growing up, like that was always my favorite weekend of the year because the first two weeks of the year, you didn't have an SEC game of the week on CBS. So the third week, that was their first game for the entire season. And then you knew for the rest of the year, you had at least three SEC games on, on TV for the entire day, for the rest of the year. So and it was so, so good to watch. It's like watching two NFL teams, Werfel, Peyton Manning, Peerless Price. I mean... I kill your real Anthony. The games weren't even that close, to be honest, but they were incredible to watch. I think the the one in '95 they played in the swamp, where uh, Peyton came out firing and they scored in like the first minute and a half of the game, and they had a 16 point lead at the half, and then Florida put up 41 points to seven in the second half and won, 62 37. What they say about Peyton? Couldn't be Florida. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's yeah. that's a. That's a nice way to. Uh, it's fun to look back the nostalgia stuff. We're we're all about that at SDS. Yeah. We try and really incorporate that into our content. That's a nice way to transition into what we've got coming out uh, this. It's coming out this uh, this weekend. I think it's coming out this Sunday and Monday uh, is when all these are going to start to roll out. We have um, a piece, a series coming out about the unforgettable um, 1998 Tennessee national championship squad. It's called Undefeated, Unexpected, Unforgettable. Guys like Dave Hooker did a ton yeah. of work for this. We've got over 10 pieces that are going to come out. They talked to guys like T. Martin. They talked to Philip Fulmer. They talked to Al Wilson, David Cutcliffe. Yeah, all these really guys that we it. got. 
Oh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the graphics are, are tremendous. Tennessee gave us a lot of help with these photos. This is going to be really, really cool. I'm, yeah. I'm jealous I didn't get, that I didn't like take part in this in, in helping produce it, but this is going to be so fun to read. Right. Tennessee fans are absolutely going to love this. The 20-year anniversary of that memorable season. Pretty amazing that that team in the first year without Peyton Manning right. was able to put together a season like this. A lot of that kind of gets lost in the shuffle in, in history, but um, it, it's yeah. going to be fun to go back down down memory yeah. road. For and that, that, that whole season, I remember I brought this up yesterday. Was that especially as a Bama fan, that '98 Tennessee season was almost identical to the 2010 Auburn season. It's like early in the year they're not ranked super high and they're just squeaking by teams like where they should like Auburn should have lost South Carolina I thought and then they should have lost the next game or Mississippi State or whatever. And Tennessee squeaking by Syracuse, then Florida just kept getting win after win, and they ended up with a 13-0 perfect record and destroyed Florida State in that national championship. Yeah, uh, one of the little uh, things that we found uh, in, this, in the stories, I was talking to uh, our editor, uh, Chris Wright, about this, and he was saying how uh, uh, Fulmer didn't know if that team was going to go like six and five, yeah. seven and four. They were, even though they were preseason number ten, I think, but they were just one of those teams that when you lose somebody of Peyton Manning's caliber, right. you just kind of question the way that things are going to go. And just the the rise of that team is fun to see. And you just, I, I don't know if you see that a whole lot. Where I, I know Georgia had this storybook run last year, but Georgia was, you know, <clears throat> expected to still at least win the division, and we knew the talent was there. But I, it just seems more and more rare to have it's, seasons quite It's like rare this. because it would be, Peyton was an icon at Tennessee, and the expectations they had, they weren't unfair. He was just so damn good, you kind of expected him to, they were going to win a national championship. Because it wasn't just him, that whole team was stacked. I mean, they were, they were a top 10, top 5 team for all three to four years he was there. And it would be like if Georgia won a national championship in 83 after Herschel left, or Auburn right. after Bo left, or, or you know after Tebow left to Florida. That's why it was such a huge deal. Yeah, we're hopefully going to have Dave Hooker on uh, next week. We're still trying to, to work that out so we can uh, talk about some of these pieces and stuff, the, the tremendous work, some of the cool little stories that he was able to find from this. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to come out this Sunday. Um, definitely want to bookmark that. Tennessee fans, I promise you'll love it. SEC fans, you're going to love it. Maybe not Florida fans so much, but right. um, really, really enjoyable stuff. Uh, you're definitely going to want to check that out. So uh, we're going to try something new today. Yes, we've got new stuff for you. Now that we are a twice-a-week podcast, and now that we have Thursday podcast, podcast coming out i think we're going to try and do this uh this uh what, what are we calling this chris are we, we on a name the name is still in the works Depending. q a down south i don't know yeah we could just put down south or around pretty much everything and it works for us i think that kind of goes along with our, our our branding and everything but uh we've got some questions we reached out to people um we got questions from instagram and yeah. twitter correct yeah what do you guys want to hear about so the first question comes from uh sean patrick our guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. Shout uh, out, Sean. He has two he's questions. To one a, is, go ahead. He, he listened twice this week. Yeah. Uh, everybody should should take Sean's lead. Listen to every single episode twice. Agreed. Completely agreed. So he's, he says, which Rush Probst family is better? We're not going to answer that one. That's a little tough. It's a good, good two-a-days reference. Which yep. team not named LSU that has at least somewhat high hopes has the highest chance to have their season go off the rails? See that's tough because I think I think Auburn I think Auburn yeah. would be would be my pick just because of how difficult the schedule is. 
Um, and because I, I really do think that they are a, a Jared Stidham injury away from being like really, really bad. I right. mean, like having a, a tough season. I know the defense is good, but uh, we've seen what, what programs do when they lose their starting quarterback. And I, that's why I argue that he's the most valuable player uh, in the SEC going into this season. And I think the defense would just be gassed having to deal with an offense that, uh, quite frankly, would, would struggle to move the ball, I think. Um, so Auburn probably would be my candidate there. See, I mean, that schedule is brutal, but they're still a really good football team. I would think, uh, and their schedule is more spaced out like throughout the season. I would say Mississippi State. They're a little bit more don't, similar. Don't to where, you go there. I, don't just, you go there. They're a little bit more similar, or South Carolina, like where they are, their expectations and ranking uh, and perception, like you know, on a national standpoint, are similar to where LSU would be. That schedule's not easy. I mean, at Kansas State, you still got to play. I, I think that game at Kentucky is going to be tougher than they think. And then having Florida, Auburn, they they have a really tough road ahead. And a new coach, new is, coordinators. Yeah. And it wasn't like Bob Shoup was really good at Tennessee. No, but he was pretty good at Penn State. I will say that. And he was one. He had a defense that actually had some talent on the defensive line, like what he has now. Mm-hmm. He was really good. People forget how good that 2015 Penn State defensive line was. They had three NFL guys on the defensive line, and they were, I think, number one in the country in tackles for loss. Like, he got that Tennessee job for a reason, and right. in large part because of that. So that, I'm, you know, I, Tennessee was a dumpster fire, but yeah, okay. Mississippi State was, wow. Didn't okay. think he would go there. That hurts. Uh, next question. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Who's this from? Uh, this is from NSL. NSL UGA 1218. All right. Does pineapple belong on pizza, and which SEC team will underachieve? The correct answers are no and Auburn. Go. That's from him. Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to order pineapple on pizza, but if it's there, and if the Canadian bacon and pineapple is my option, yeah. I, I will it's eat it. Yeah, well, Canadian bacon is, is ham. That's, yeah, we've established that. But, yeah, it's one of those things that the first time I had it, I was expecting to hate it because I don't like pineapple. But then I ate it, and I was like, okay, I, I kind of get it. I'm never going to order this, but I'm also going to not stop myself from eating it if it's right. my only option. And we, we pretty much or, uh, answered the second one, underachieving yeah. the expectations. Which brings us to our final question. This is my favorite. William Hansen. So he's our winner of the week. I'm going to send him a free sticker. Thank you for submitting this. Shout out, William. Drafting a men's softball game from SEC coaches. Who's your first Ooh. pick? Mine is Matt Ooh. Luke. He looks like a guy who really enjoys a men's softball game. Gosh, that's that's tough. Um, I mean, Saban's last, right? Yeah, Saban's not high on this list. Um, I'm going to go Barry Odom. I feel like Barry Odom Ooh. could destroy a softball. I feel like he definitely wears like softball coaches' like bike shorts. Like, oh, really, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like pleated definitely. gray Coaching shorts, yeah. I would say Orgeron yeah. for me. Uh, yeah, yeah. He 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 could definitely he could swing the hips a little bit, lay into one. Yeah, Orgeron and Luke Muschamp seems like the the type of guy. It's probably the best way to describe his coaching style. The type of guy that get thrown out of a like an adult softball game. Yeah, and Muschamp would not want to like have an uppercut. He would just basically swing into the ground. He's going to want to just put it on the ground and everything goes right back up the middle. Hole. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good one. That's a really good question. I like that. Well, I'm surprised go. we haven't thought of that. So that's make good. sure you guys uh, send those questions in for uh, next week, every week, and we'll read them on air if like, if they're funny and good. And, uh, you know, winner get a free sticker and some fame. Nice. Hey, what's – I don't mind a little fame. No. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, 
yeah, those keep those coming. Those are we're, we're definitely going to be doing that. We'll even come up with a name for it next week. Uh, we do have a name for this. It's time for it might mean too much. And this is something that if you are on the internet today, and if you follow SDS on Twitter, follow the SDS Pod on Twitter, you already saw this. But it's too good not to talk about. Right. So Clay Travis tweeted out this photo. Uh, it was actually originally from uh, I am Hogan was the Twitter handle, and it's a woman who on the back of her thighs, you can see it's like this, whoever took this picture was um, like in a shopping cart and this woman was, was ahead of him. It and, was at Walmart. Um, yeah, it was at Walmart, of course. And on one thigh, you see roll, and on the other, on the other thigh, you see a tattoo tied. And it's so perfect, so Alabama, that I, I almost thought it was fake. It's not. That's, that's my just above ground gene pool. That's the 85% that you're part of, is what you're saying? 100%, yep. That's the 85% I fall into. There's a guy that, like, before Harvey Updike was, like, the most famous Bama fan because he he used to wear kilts to games. And I thought it was a joke. It wasn't. It was real. And he had his entire body tattooed in, in like, a collage of, like, scenic Bama pictures. We weren't even good then. He has no space on his body now. That's that'd be one of those things where if you get one tattoo of that, chances are you're going to be itching for another. I, I guess. Would think. What do you get, what do you, you do with a Mike Shua tattoo on your face? I don't know, man. I I don't know what you do with any tattoo on your face. How you look <laughs> in the mirror and say, "Yep, this was a good idea. Totally glad I did that." Yeah, the roll tie tattoos. I there are definitely some some crazier Alabama tattoos as you alluded to, but but that uh, one that's perfect. Back at the, Back of the thighs. That's that's almost too stereotypical. Like you, she does that, knowing that that she is living up to a stereotype. Yeah, it's, she's it's, aware. That's not like the first picture on her Tinder profile, too. If you're doing it wrong, I'm swiping right oh, yeah. all day on that. Yeah. Uh, one more uh, that that I want to get to that I saw again. Another shout out to Chris Wright who pointed me yeah. in the correct direction, the right direction on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, you see what I did there. That was good. Uh, there's a uh, a fan from the UK that's over there in London. Actually, that was like wow. Australian. Um, but yeah, that's London, not Kentucky. Who tweeted out uh, this guy named Toby? Who tweeted out that he just bought his first ever ticket to a college football game, and he's coming to the states to see Bama LSU, and that's going to be his first college he's football British. experience. Yeah, yes. a little British. Um, and he's going to absolutely love it. He got a ton of people that were liking. I think he had more likes on this tweet than he than he has followers, which is like a really hard thing to do. But that's how many people were able to, yeah. to see this tweet. That's really really cool. You know what's gonna be fun about that is he's gonna like fly over here from England. He it sounds to me like he I want to be best friends with this guy. Like he just likes to have a good time. Oh yeah. And just maybe like soccer hooligans, but just coming over here to watch a, a, the closest thing to it. But he's undoubtedly gonna have someone's like. Hello, um, I was wondering what the stadium is. And someone's like, you talk funny, dude. What's wrong with you? I ain't never heard nobody talk like that. Can't wait for I'm that actually, to I'm actually uh, supposed to, I, I emailed him some questions. I've been exchanging messages with him uh, back and forth, ironically enough, because I'm going to do a, yeah. a column for this uh, uh, on Friday. But, yeah, just about his experience, like how much money this guy is spending. I mean, <laughs> if he's been an LSU fan for a long time, if he just picked a game right. on the schedule that he thought would be really fun to go to, if he did, props to you because yeah. you picked a hell of a game to go and attend. I mean, that if you're going to go to one college football game, like Bama LSU is, it's really tough to top that. Right. 
just don't dress like very British. No, I think he's got LSU gear. Actually, that was one of the things okay. I asked him to send me over was if you've got pictures of yourself in LSU gear, let me know. Yeah, if you come over in like a top hat, don't do that. No, I think uh, this guy sounds, he sounds a lot smarter than that. But yeah, looking forward to that conversation. Make sure you're checking that out. Uh, that's every Friday that uh, it might mean too much. The column is going up. The, the Chad Morris St. Candle last week had a lot of fun with that. That was a really good time. If you haven't seen that yet, go check that out. Check out all of our content. We have this this great series with uh, with Texas Pete right now where we have um, you know all this college football preview stuff, really cool layout design for it. Make sure that you are giving us five-star reviews. Do we have one five-star review to get to? We do. Do you want to fire that one off? It is from Tom Dickerson, the subject line, Cam Martin for Heisman. So nice. excited for a twice-weekly broadcast. Y'all keep me entertained during lab work every week, and it's great to hear some SEC football talk while I'm stuck in the Northeast hearing about how great the Big Ten and Penn State are. Thanks for the content, fellas. Thank you for the review. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Leave us a review. Go subscribe yeah. to the podcast. Well, if you already haven't, don't just listen to it. Subscribe to it. Yeah. Like listening is cool. Listening is cool. Subscribing is even cooler. That's just what I heard. Right. Watch watch the, the Facebook Live. That is every uh, Monday. We're, we're, we're doing those every Monday night. You are crushing those, getting a billion comments to respond to. Yeah. Facebook Live stresses me out. It really does. Yep. It's like it's one of those things that the first time you do it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't handle this. This is too much. But then you get more comfortable with it, and I'm it, sure you're a pro now. I mean, I have my ADD is really bad anyway, but like we first started, it was like 3,500 views, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to keep up with all this. And then we're up to around like an average of like fifteen to eighteen thousand now. And I was like, "This is good." And as soon as I was like feeling comfortable with it, our boss Duff was like, "Just wait till the season, man. It's gonna be like fifty. Yeah. I was like, "No, absolutely not." Yes. Uh, if you are listening to a college football podcast for the first time in several months, and you chose us to be that podcast, thank you. We are excited to be gearing up for the start of the season. Two weeks from today, we are going to be watching Texas A&M, Northwestern State. It's going to be awesome. Jimbo Fisher, Fisher era is taking off. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at the STS pod at C Marler STS at C J O Guerra. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. We're going to hopefully, you know, respond to us. All those, uh, all those questions that we want from, from Instagram, from Twitter. I'll read them. <laughs> you'll read them. You'll, you'll find them. Ask, ask this question. Anything, anytime, uh, anything you have, you have questions about regarding. Call us in the middle of the night. Yeah, we don't care. We're here for you. What do we have to do? Sleep? Come on. We don't do that. Uh, And just remember, most importantly, it just means too much. No. Damn it. One of these days. One of these days. Might mean too much. Thanks, guys. See you next week.